Hello and welcome to the 23rd episode of Pin Count, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast. We'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs and sweat the details. We're not journalists, we're developers and computer scientists. I'm Douglas Shearer and I'm here with my co-host Ian Wallace. Evening. So Evening. you've got uh, something I've said is wrong, some follow-up, correction for me? Yeah, so it's just a small thing. Last week you were wondering, well, we were, last week, the last time we recorded, we were talking about the new Coffee Lake CPUs, consumer desktop CPUs from Intel, and you were wondering if, to speed the process up, they were actually cut down Oh, Zeon. yeah, because of the six cores, yeah. Yeah, because of the six cores. And, and it occurred to me while I was uh, listening through our edit before we posted that that could, couldn't possibly be the case because the Xeons are now are only on Skylake, I think. So you'd have to be, you'd have to have two generation newer Xeons lying around to cut the dies down. Oh, but they'd have the designs. And actually, 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 did I not read somewhere that they're getting AVX five twelve, or did I imagine that? That's that's we've got that later in the show notes. That's Canon Lake, not Coffee Lake. Ah, okay. Yeah. Mm. So I think I, mean, I think there is the I think you're maybe right on that they could pull the designs, but the Xeons have gone to a whole different internal architecture in terms of how the cores are linked up. Yeah, they did change that. And they changed the caching as well, didn't they? Yeah. So I guess they could have pulled some of this stuff. I still think the idea that these six core CPUs are a reaction to um, AMD's Ryzen CPUs is a bit flimsy because these things are very difficult to speed up. Do you know where you'd, we'd find out the details? It'd be in the those enormous processor manuals you get from Intel that tell you the low-level details, you could probably work it out. Yeah, you're right, we could. We should look at that. We'll do that for next time. So I've got some other follow-up. Um, so we've speculated previously about cameras and smartphones being pre-calibrated for AR. Particularly we were talking about Apple, right? And the iPhone and whether or not they calibrate the lenses, yeah? Yep. Um, so Google are definitely doing it for the Pixel because this, this tweet from Clay Bever saying that the... Uh, do camera calibration for AR and new pixels. And uh, do you know who Clay is? He's. Uh, I have no idea. He's um, Google, or I believe, I think technically Alphabet's um, head of VR and the AR stuff. Okay. So that's a, an authoritative source. Yeah, I think they actually said this in the sort of keynote thing they had that, that all the cameras would come calibrated. Yeah. So I mean. Oh sort of related they use a single a single sensor a single lens but they've got some sort of tech like at the pixel level that allows them to set a base and pick up the sort of 3d-ness of the room any idea what that is um i know i've got an article in minster paper key about it from the google research blog that i was going to read but i haven't got around to reading it okay do you want to leave that or do you want the link and we can uh, let people read it uh, i think we can leave that and come Let's back leave to it that. I think that's, yeah. yeah something really interesting uh, we'll punt that to follow up for next time. I'll I'll put the link in here so we've got it. In the meantime, the interested listener can hunt that out for themselves and come to their own conclusions. Um, so there's a link in here about Apple's Core ML tools. Did I put that link in there, or did you put that? In? I I think you put that. In. I definitely tweeted about it a while ago. Yeah. Um, have you seen this? Have you looked at this? I th- I think I had a quick look. Well, I saw the note in here, and I think I might have put the note next to the note. Um, and yeah, I had a little quick look at it. So this is Apple, like Apple and GitHub. Who'd have thought it? Um, or Apple, Apple pushing stuff that they don't have to on GitHub, right? Um, but this is interesting because this is this is you know how we speculated a while ago when we were talking about uh, deep learning on Apple mobile devices about how what was their developer story, right? How are you supposed yeah. to train the models? Apple don't sell a computer you can train a neural network on. 
well, reasonably, a reasonable computer for one. Um, you could train a crap network on something, but anyway, so what this is, is a set of tools for model conversion validation. So this is for converting models from other, I'm going to say AI frameworks, and I actually mean AI, I don't just mean deep learning because it covers yeah. the best VM, XGBoost, Scikit, etc. And it's for converting models into formats for using for core ML, which is pretty sweet. So basically this means you can use your nice big powerful Linux server tree train your models and then convert the models into a format you can use on an iOS or macOS device. So that's pretty nice. That is the developer story effectively. So it's it's interesting that like all the timestamps in this repository are like about around three months ago, like well after WWDC, because I don't remember seeing anything like this in the WWDC video. Oh yeah, there was no story yeah. back then. Uh, I'm gonna I'm actually now just trolling through the end of the commits to see if there's any older uh, 30th of June is the initial commit, so that's not very long at all, but that's public. Okay. I mean, it's taken them 13, 14 months from when we said last year they need a developer story for this to actually have one. Ah, uh, okay. And then the first commit is just a placeholder, and then the real one is take a drop of core ML tool 0.5 release. So it's a massive source dump from some internal repository. Ah, uh, it's the classic. Like, this is the same that Apple do with their kernels. They just throw a bunch of stuff over a wall occasionally. Android's the same now. There you go. So that that is the developer story. It's use a Linux machine, and then uh, Core ML tools. Oh, I didn't check, which would have been interesting as well. What, what, I need to have a look at this. What do you run Core ML tools on? Yeah, anything you would like, I would think. Uh, is, it, is it expected to run on the Mac or on the? Ah, it's all Python, and it's some stuff that would be a real pain to install on a Mac. So that's interesting. It's effectively saying you want to build an iOS app, you need a Linux machine. Um, hmm. Anyway, okay, so what have we got in here? You've got um, some pointless announcement from Intel. <laughs> so, um, like early last year, when we first started the podcast, we talked about Intel buying Nirvana as part of their sort of going around hoovering up um, AI um, and deep learning hardware um, producers. Um, and they've announced they're going to produce their first Nirvana neural network hardware before the end of the year. Which, as you say, is a useless announcement, but at least we've got a date on it now. Yeah, there's not much detail on it. Although they have released some other AI libraries under the Nirvana sort of branding. Um, sort of implementations of standard AI algorithms like reinforcement learning approaches and things like that. Um, so they are kind of, uh, I guess if you're American, you'd call it priming the pump a bit on that one. Yeah, yeah. I think I did read somewhere else. I can't see it now, but they're going to fit into the same massive sockets that the big Xeons and Xeon Phi's do. So, if there's some sort of cross pollination there from Intel, they're not just coming out with a, a new thing. Yeah, and you've got this link I, me- I mentioned previously about AVX five twelve and Canon Lake, but we've covered that off already. Yeah, yeah. So that it's just it just comes down to what what parts of AVX 512 are going to make into the consumer chips they, they list it here in this Anantec article and I'll, I'll post a link to the Venn diagram again it's super confusing but it's cool to see this making it to consumer stuff if people are going to use it on a larger scale and then you've got some about quantum computing here so this is also Intel um, oh wow exciting pin count news in this uh, this article <laughs> have you like the what okay so the bottom of this chip isn't Conventional pins. It's a bunch of. Um, it looks like the bottom of like Lego pieces. No, like no, that, that's a bunch pips. of like it's a bunch of SDI SDI coax connectors, like, like you yeah, use for yeah. uh, Wi-Fi antennas or video signals. So that that tells me it's analog output, or well, yeah. or so, maybe not analog, high frequency digital. Um, 
So, so this is Intel announcing their first 17-qubit superconducting chip, um, which is the quantum computing chip. I had a colleague ask me the other day where I thought quantum computing was going, and I said, like, since I went to university in the early 2000s, like, the story's been exactly the same. Everyone's almost on the verge of a breakthrough with it. But to me, the difficulty seems the interface and the tooling around it. And here they kind of say it's the interface. You know, that's that's why they've got new connectors for this package. Um, and also keeping it cool enough so it can, you know, keep the superposition of state. I, I still think, I I think it's this, like quantum computing is the slowest hype train ever. And I don't know what this announcement actually means. No, I need to read through it. Um, yeah. Okay, is that all our random news? I think that's the random news. So, GTC Europe? Yes. Which you were lucky enough to go to? Lucky, it's quite hard work, but yeah. I ate a lot of pretzels. <laughs> hard work? Yeah, well, yeah. You know, day three is getting punishing. But, you know, you got to yeah. keep eating them tasty pretzels. Anyway, um, it was in Munich for anyone not aware of the pretzel reference. So, yeah, it was at um, NVIDIA's GPU technology conference, the European one, is is... I presented that last year. This year, I was just attending just to see some talks and meet some people. But I took some notes of some interesting things I thought you might, might be interested in. So, what was? I mean, Munich is near this kind of um, all the automotive research in Germany. You've got Audi just up the road in Ingolstadt, and um, Mercedes have got research down there. Volkswagen have an AI lab down there. Um, so there's a lot of heavy autonomous cars waiting on it. But what I thought was interesting was just how far all that stuff's come, how much of an industry there is now, right? So the thing that kind of leapt out to me the most is you can buy an off-the-shelf autonomous car now, right? Yeah. For your um, so I don't know if you looked at this link to autonomous stuff. It's a company that's literally called autonomous stuff. Yeah, but like you can buy off the off-the-shelf autonomous vehicle development platforms. So it's like, yeah, you just click this website and oh look, I want to build myself a self-driving truck. So there we go. I can uh, buy an off-the-shelf self-driving truck or a car. I can get a Ford Fusion or a Lincoln MKZ. Let's see, what have I got? 600 watt true sine wave inverter, blah, 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 blah. Different data interfaces. Like So basically, like you, you buy a, a, a Ford Fusion, or what do we call it in the UK? It's the a Mondeo. Mondeo, yeah. Um, and it's, is it just a standard car pre-wired with all the stuff you'd need to plug no, in? No, no, it's got a full stack. Into, it's got like a okay. NVIDIA Drive PX2 in it. You can use all the drive work stuff. You could literally... Oh probably needs a bit of configuration but you could turn it on and you'd have a self-driving car okay <laughs> um wow which is crazy right um that there's a, it's crazy to me that there's a market for that right yeah um, yeah so i thought that was interesting um also in the kind of autonomous car things is like the crazy amounts of compute that's being poured into like this is where all the hotness and sort of advance in compute technology is happening so just to kind of put this in perspective so they were they've kind of announced their net their next gen of their uh, sort of mid to low power chips targeting autonomous vehicles. So it's these are kind of like historically like the Drive PX2 is a couple of their Jetson embedded chips uh, juiced up a bit with a couple of extra GPUs bolted on the bottom um, plus some sort of automotive interfaces and some extra stuff for sort of high reliability computing. Yeah. Yeah. And what is crazy is, I mean, th- this is really operating at the sweet spot of um, power versus performance. So you're a really nice part of the curve uh, where all this sort of hot stuff is happening. But the, So the new machine's called Pegasus. It's a 500-watt machine, and it's 
is is crazy the pirates they're they're touting 320 tops so that's um teraflop 320 trillion operations per second and it's what they mean by tops is specifically the operations useful for deep learning inference right yeah um but i mean okay so they're they're using either fixed or uh, limited precision or integer even inference there to get that high level of performance but so it's, it's not just hardware advances here it's software to allow them to do inference effectively but just to kind of put that number in comparison 320 tops in 500 watts you would need uh, 53 maxwell titan x's to reach that level of performance <laughs> right yeah. i mean not now because you can use the more inf- more efficient inference on them now but like at the time when a maxwell titan x was top of the range which is what a year and a half ago two years previous generation top end card uh the state the software is in there comparing that to the pegasus system you'd need 53 titan x's um which is 13 kilowatts and now in 500 watts you get the same inference performance mixture of software and hardware advance so yep. if you want to see the most exciting stuff that's happening in computing right now in terms of stuff being pushed on at such a rate, I mean, a 53 times improvement in about two years, that's that's pretty incredible. I mean, like, there's nothing else that's close to that, right? Yeah, I mean, it amazes me, this, yeah, the, the speed of the development of these things. But also, I'm sure this is like the third um, autonomous driving platform or iteration of the platform that the nvidia have now announced in like 18 months yeah like it sounds like like internally the speed of development is even tough for their product team to keep up with i mean i suppose at this point in time it doesn't matter too much because they're probably not shipping very many of these but it's still impressive and then so yeah just to kind of eat words a bit in previous podcast we were talking about so last time we had all the call home server arm stuff now this is a series you know this is 320 tops and it was effectively an arm chip although it's all on the NVIDIA GPU, really, and the ARM cores aren't actually doing much. Um, but we mentioned I.O. limitations. This thing has enormous I.O. for all the sensors in an autonomous car. Um, four 10-gigabit Ethernet ports, 16 GMSL ports. That's um, a high-speed serial link that you typically use to wire up cameras and LiDAR in a car. Um, yeah, enormous I.O., enormous. Um, that's crazy. Uh, I'll argue that the Denver cores aren't really ARM. I don't know if you've looked into what Denver actually does. No, I've um, not, no. So it doesn't. It does dynamic recompilation to emulate effectively an ARM layer. It's it's really crazy. Ah, it's really crazy. Okay. It's really cool. Though you should read the Wikipedia article. Um, what else did I see? Pro VR is a thing. Um, lots of presentations on the industrial use cases for VR. Um, whether that was Nvidia with their Holodeck software, which I had a go of, to various people um, selling sort of pro vr headset so think wider field of view and higher resolution so typically they were 5k across both eyes not 5k power eye it's 5k across both but that's again kind of again twice the pixels of a vive and then a wider field of view and i tried it um on first and i thought oh this is nothing particularly special um but then i went and did another demo with a vive it was the holodeck demo and then it's like oh actually no this makes the, the vive look rubbish it's one of those things everything seems really good and then you try something better and it's it's quite a difference. So that that was interesting just to see that VR's got a lot further to go. Yeah. Um, I tried uh, one of their NVIDIA's demos with live stereo stitch 360 video stream. Okay. So that was quite cool. So What was the source on that? Um, a six camera array on a pole about 10 metres away from me so I could look at myself. Okay. Um, and they've 
got it for various different like the one of the rigs they use is I think eight black magic micro cinema cameras and things like that is some quite high high quality rigs they can do yeah a pair of 1080 ties will stitch eight cameras in 4k into a stereo 360 panorama live wow just okay. pretty cool some interesting video streaming nonsense going on there um well stacy facebook's cafe 2 talk was interesting so um do you know cafe the deep learnings framework yes um and i don't know if you depending how closely you follow it there's a cafe 2 which so original cafe was berkeley and cafe 2 is uh, mostly facebook behind it and much like the original cafe they are um sort of focusing on vision and photography applications that's what cafe is good at it's what cafe 2 is good at but they're mainly focusing on mobile that's the main focus here um for obvious reasons for facebook i guess there's kind of a few interesting tidbits came out of here one was they were talking about the sorts of devices that can efficiently do inference in Cafe 2 in terms of having the right silicon to support uh, some really nice acceleration. And to sort of tell you where the lines are drawn in the sand, if you like, it's iPhone 6S onwards and Snapdragon 820 onwards. So okay. Snapdragon 820, that is a Note 7 or newer, if you think. No, it's not. No. Yeah, it is. No, I mean, there's no Note 7. Well, yeah, I thought I'd pick one that people had heard of, right? <laughs> yeah. Um it's that sort of age of device. Though. Yeah. So, which is actually not that old at all, right? I mean, it's. Yeah. It's a year old. I mean, I guess, yeah. 6S is only two years old. So, yeah. yeah. But that, that was interesting. So, I think in much the same way that there's kind of. We just kind of hit the cliff now in iOS of devices that don't support 64 bit are suddenly starting to really not get a lot of new features at all. I kind of think as. Um, uh, I hate how everyone says AI when they really just mean deep learning. But as deep learning applications. Uh, find our way into more and more things. This is that start going to that's going to be like a a performance or feature cliff that you fall off if you're the wrong side of it with your devices. Yeah. If you yeah. if you've got something that's um, if you've got an iPhone six or older or you know anything that's more than a year old, not high end on Android, at some point, you know you're going to start realizing you're missing out on a lot of features, and you maybe don't even know they're AI features or machine learning features, but. Yeah, you ju- they just not have quite as good performance. And yeah, I mean, this seems even more of a cliff than like screen technology or camera technology. Yeah, I mean, they have got, they have done some really clever stuff in Cafe too to support doing inference on OpenGL ES and things like that, which is a bit mad to think that's even a possible thing. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's that's where the sort of main performance cliff is. And there was another interesting uh, implicit message in Facebook's talk, given it was at Nvidia sponsored conference, and that was them talking about how easy it is to integrate what they call a performance kernel um, and what they mean by performance kernel is like the core neural network libraries so this would be CUDNN N for an NVIDIA device which is the CUDA implementation yep. of neural network functions or say core ML on iOS and that is interesting and because what they're saying there is they're making it really easy for new hardware vendors that aren't NVIDIA to support CAFE 2 yeah and then also, I don't know if you've come across ONNX, it's Open Neural Network Exchange Format, which is a cross-platform support f- format for models. Yeah. And, yeah, this is the same thing. It makes it means you've only got one standard you need to target your low-level libraries at. 
Do you think rather than being a sort of dig at NVIDIA, this is just the nature of the space, especially if you're someone like Facebook? Like you're not just making things for NVIDIA devices, like they have to reach all sorts of devices and NVIDIA almost certainly don't make the hardware on. That's a generous view. I would say they must be spending billions with NVIDIA and they'd really like there to be credible competitors. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> um. Yeah, I mean, this this helps Intel's stuff be competitive. It helps GraphCore stuff be competitive, etc., etc. What else? Oh, yeah, so a real, a real trend that kind of annoyed me. So there's a huge AI and robotics focus at GTC. There's a bunch of sort of pro-visualization stuff as well, right? And all the usual yeah. GPU, uh, historical legacy GPU use cases. Um, <laughs> the only game stuff I saw, there's one stand, there's a stand there from the Unreal Engine guys, and even then they were mostly talking about um, film uses for Unreal, so for motion oh, yeah. picture stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyone in one of the modern uses, so the AI stuff, they're using Linux, they're using DGX stations, GGX um, one servers, and they're running Linux variants. You've even got people there with like IBM with their power systems and you know, there's even a stand with a company doing InfiniBand stuff, right? That's proper high-end stuff. Yeah. And yet every workstation vendor I spoke to about mobile workstations, laptops, I'd say, what's your Linux support like? And it's just nothing. They just don't even know. They can't even talk to you about it. Um, so what are all these systems then? Windows? Yeah. And it's like, no one there is buying Windows machines. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's okay, so Dell have Linux support, and I didn't speak to Dell, because I'm already, already a big Dell customer, but I, yeah. I'm looking for competition, and they just, like, I don't I don't get it, I really don't get it. PNY did a bit better than most, they had an interesting new laptop with a Max-Q Quadro design, but they said they might send me one, and I'm still waiting and hearing back about that, uh, so I could test it, um, but yeah, no one else, like HP, Lenovo, Fujitsu, etc., they just... Yeah, can't can't even answer the question. Mm. I wonder if the the performance that maybe not the performance you actually get, but the performance people think they would get doesn't meet some sort of price performance or size performance like um, idea that people have in their heads, and thus they don't buy them. They think I need a laptop to do things on, but if I'm going to do any sort of deep learning work or any other GPU work, I would use a separate workstation. So that is definitely true for training models, right? Uh, and less so for inference if you're testing something, like um, just evaluating the performance on something. If you're researching, sure, you're doing it on a big server, but if you're just in actually implementing something, you might want to test it on your laptop locally. Even a training setup, you kind of want to. It's handy to be able to check that it runs and everything's working properly on your machine. Stuff yeah. like if you're doing any data pre processing, you can test and evaluate stuff locally before running on a remote machine. Like there's loads of reasons you want it to be the same, right? Even yeah. like setting up a Docker container or something. Okay, I know you could put a Docker container on your Mac and then migrate that to, to your server or whatever, but yeah, like you can run your docker image that should be training your neural network on your mac in any sort of efficiency yeah. um and certainly not with the same software stack because you'd have to be using nvidia docker and then you'd need an nvidia mac and yeah who's got one of them so i don't even know if nvidia docker works in a way is it uh, mac OS, sorry um anyway uh, yeah probably not actually i bet you can't even buy a mac no, that's got the right even... hardware to support pass-through access to the gp yeah ah 
I, I don't. So I don't. You. I don't use Docker like as a day to day thing. I know lots of people who do because none of the environments I publish to are sort of containerized inverted commas. But previously, the story for using Docker on a Mac was to actually have an Ubuntu virtual machine that ran all the Docker images, and you could have Nvidia. Sorry, you could have GPU pass through to the Ubuntu virtual machine, and then I guess it would. Ah, no, three. No, no, acceleration, but not actually direct PCIe access because that okay. requires. Yeah right sort of chip on your motherboard which is almost which you only really get on high-end workstation or server stuff okay. um the right sort of what's it called memory mapping thing i've forgotten the name of it anyway yeah um i noticed here you mentioned have i seen the new razor with the kb lake four core in it and yeah. uh yeah i have but um so is the new dell xps 13 and new Oh, does yeah. it? Okay, I hadn't seen that. And uh, yeah. Dell actually will sell you a machine with Ubuntu on it. So, yeah, they're actually good with the Linux support. So, that's why I'd use one. I was amazed. I didn't actually see any razors at GTC. And I think I saw pretty much every other GPU powered laptop you can think of and lots that you've never heard of as well. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, anything else you want to know about GTC? That's all the kind of things that stood out for me going over my notes. Yeah, so there's like a few things I remember you sent me. I think it was from the same Facebook talk you were talking about earlier. They had the thing about training um, ImageNet ResNet 50 in like a single hour on a set of machines. You were like, set this of machines. Really interesting. Yeah, this will be really interesting. I can't wait to see how they did this. And then you sent me the image and it turned out they were using 256 NVIDIA P100 GPUs. Yeah, now P100s are cheap now. They're only £5,000 a card. Yeah, and I bet you can't get 256 of them from anyone. I mean, it's only, you know, I mean, see, see previous show topic, $1.2 million of hardware. That's uh, £1.2 yeah. million. Pounds. Yeah, that would be a bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, what, what, what's, what's, the, what's the story with RGB? I hear RGB is big in the deep learning community now. <laughs> I, oh, I've never seen so much RGB. Right, so I saw RGB robots. I saw an RGB server cabinet, um, like full man-high rack, and uh, RGB man in lederhosen. And there was an RGB tracked robot as well. Yeah, I yeah. think you sent me a picture of that. Yeah, I'll put the picture of some of these in the show notes. I knew I knew I'd hit a peak RGB when I saw RGB later was in. Yeah. yeah, and you also went to. I'm just looking at the pictures you sent me. Um, you went to a MapD talk, and we've talked about MapD oh, before. Yeah. And they had the graph of like, GPUs recharging Moore's law, but it's a it's a Bezos chart. <laughs> but the, the I mean, there's like so many things wrong with it. But the interest, the thing that really got me and actually made me quite almost angry was they say CPU processors gain twenty percent performance each year. Like, where are they buying CPUs that are twenty percent faster than last year? And can I please buy? Some? Maybe they're just buying twenty percent more processors every year. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you had a good idea earlier about um, how we can structure the the podcast episodes going forward. You got a new a new plan for us to try it. Do you want to explain it? Yeah, so at least a, at least a, a new segment we can do like one every show. So the idea would be: last episode we talked about talked about you having made a prediction about something in the field of computational photography. So how about predictions in other fields that we know about, like computational photography, AR, VR? blockchain mobile peripherals um, don't lie networking. no one knows anything about the blockchain <laughs> yeah well we're going to guess if anyone's going to know anything about yeah. it um ports and then the other one we've got down here is just web stuff um so i think we'll pick 
a topic a week or two topics yeah. a week, tell each other in advance. One of us can do research, the other one will ask questions, and we'll see if it's interesting because I think there's lots of pontification okay. to be done. Yeah. And we do a lot of news, so it may be nice to talk about things that aren't news. Yeah. I guess to structure this, we'll say whoever is coming up with the topic, they can come up with their near-term predictions, sort of three to six months, what's going to happen there. Some longer-term, uh, more speculative guesses on where things are going. That's sort of up to two years. I'll pick your time scale, I guess. Um, and I want to see evidence as well. I want to or at least extrapolation from currently available data. Yeah, that's fair. And if anyone listening has got any ideas or just wants to uh, play along, shall we? Uh, yeah, so we're going to we're going to choose from that list originally. Uh, but if you've got any more, send them in. So it's computational photography, AR and VR, blockchain, mobile, peripherals. Uh, 10 gigabit ethernet's made it into this list. Don't know why. Um, ports, as in ports on your computer, and uh, web stuff. So if you've got any ideas on those, have a think, see if you agree with us, or send them in if you like. We love getting feedback. Uh, you can tweet us, or use the hashtag AskPinCount, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you've got longer feedback, or you want to give us some more detail on one of those topics, maybe, you can email us at wrongontheinternet at pincountpodcast.com. So thanks for listening. Show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore accidental, and you can find Doug at Douglas F. Shearer. And follow the show at Pink Out Podcast. I think that's actually better that way. I, I went rogue with the outro. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was like, oh, he's forgotten a bit, but I always got I, it. I was, I was feeling quite stressed, just, just go freestyling it. What's this about autonomous database? <laughs> yeah, so this is a. Self driving database. <laughs> Right, this is a, an article on oracle.com which, where they are proclaiming they have the world's number one database is now the world's first self-driving database. And apart from that... Oh I can't wait, really it's, not, tell. it's not actually a database for self-driving cars, it's actually a database that uh, automatically upgrades, patches and tunes itself. Right, exactly. I thought it was literally a database for self-driving cars, but no, it just seems to be like a database in the cloud thing, like um, Amazon's database service. Yeah, like surely I just buy a database service from anyone that does software as a service and I've got a self <laughs> Like, I mean, what? I think it's just um, Oracle are really excited they've made it to about 68 years ago, hmm. you know. It's like t- 2008 and Oracle's offices and this is really cool.